Our reading is Psalm 134, which is on page 443 of the Pew Bibles, although I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Please pray with me. Father, may your Holy Spirit write all these your words on our hearts so that our lives may be more closely conformed to your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 134, a song of ascents. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, um, some of you uh, might be a little concerned by the title of my sermon today, At the End of Faith. And I hope I didn't cause the elders too much heartburn, uh, thinking that maybe I lost my way along this journey, this ascent uh, that we've been going on. The title actually comes from a question that Eugene Peterson asks in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which we've derived our sermon series from. And in relation to this psalm, he asked a provocative question, but what happens when we get where we're going? What happens at the end of faith? What takes place when we finally arrive? Well, I can save you the suspense and share right now that the answer is the key word in our psalm today, it's blessing. Uh, so for those who just want to ace the test at the end, you can go back to playing Wordle now and uh, I'll bring you back in when we get there. Um, if you remember, we've actually been taking this journey uh, this summer through a collection of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And I have to confess that despite being a Bible graduate of Gordon, Con Gordon College and the, and the seminary, uh, these terms and frameworks like the Psalms of Sense often take me by surprise um, as we're talking about them in church. And so I guess I should know what these mean, but join with me as we uh, you know, learn these things together. But it's been a profound uh, journey through the Psalms, uh, through 120 uh, through 134. And as a reminder, these Psalms were likely sung by, uh, in, in order by Hebrew pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem to take part in the great worship festivals as often as three times a year. I'm not sure we have any parallel to this in our society today. Maybe, maybe for some it's like the pilgrimage to celebrate Christmas together with your family. Um, and, and in a very real sense, perhaps it's more like the two holidays a year that some of us in our community uh, gather up all of our guilt to make the obligatory pilgrimage to church on uh, Christmas and Easter. Um, but more profoundly, I, I think uh, that the, the, these, these Psalms describe the metaphorical ascent of our journey of faith. And throughout these Psalms, throughout this summer, we've seen the repeated reminders of key aspects of our journey of faith, the call to repentance, to turn away from the things of the world and to keep climbing, to look at God's faithfulness even when we meet the deep valleys of personal despair or injustice, to savor the majestic views of God's goodness when there are places to stop and rest along the way up and to embrace the community of pilgrims that he's put in our lives along the way. And all of these things are important signposts and lessons leading to the destination of Jerusalem and preparing us for what we're gonna find there. 
But now we've arrived. We're at the final psalm of ascent, 134, and we're asking the question, what happens now? What's the purpose of this journey, this ascent? And in the psalm, it says, and this is a little different uh, version than we read, but come, bless God, all you servants of God. You priests of God, hosted to the night watch in God's shrine, lift your praising hands to the holy place and bless God. In turn, may God of Zion bless you, God who made heaven and earth. Well, what is blessing? And how do we bless the Lord? Um, our son, Peter, has recently been learning a dinner prayer to the tune of Frere Jaca that goes like this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for our food, for our food, and our many blessings, and our many blessings. I love you. I love you. And then if you're really good, you do the amen at the end. When he reaches the words, many blessings, you can tell that his confidence wavers because unlike the rest of the song, we don't use that word frequently at home. And he doesn't have the framework for what the word blessing means. And so what is this word blessing? What does it actually mean to us? Well, I think that nearly everyone in the world has a personal or even an innate sense of what they think a blessing from God is or what it should be. In one sense, I'd go so far as to say that what you believe about God's blessing likely drives the core impulses of your entire life. And this is true whether you're an atheist or a Hindu or a devout Christian. Your belief in God's, what God's blessing is or might be determines the way that you act in the world. Uh, one commentary says that in the ancient Near Eastern world, there was nothing, nothing more important than securing the blessing of God in one's life or nation. But it also says that while this idea of God's blessing his people seems logical to us, the reverse of people blessing God seems counterintuitive. So much so that translations often use a different word for the same term of blessing here, rendering it to praise. Um, but, but this may just be, in, uh, uh, be just as unclear in our thinking as is the word blessing. What does it really mean to praise the Lord? Well, Luke, in his uh, gospel, records that Jesus went to dinner at the home of a Pharisee. And while he was there, a woman who was known throughout the city to be immoral came and knelt at his dirty feet, washing them with her own tears and hair and expensive perfume. And when the Pharisee merely thought, thought to himself, Jesus doesn't know who this is, otherwise you know, he's not really a prophet. Uh, otherwise he would, have, he would have known, he would have said, said, don't do that to me. Jesus replied to him and, and he said, can I tell you something? Uh, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love, love him more? Pharisee replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman and said to the Pharisee, do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. 
Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever's been forgiven little loves little. I think about the contrast in this story is the one who, person who claimed to know God was skeptical about Jesus and couldn't praise, couldn't love. And the woman uh, who, who was known to be a, a sinful woman uh, was forgiven and blessed him with everything she had. Her hair, I mean, it just, uh, it's unbelievable. I, I think if we want to know what it means to bless the Lord, this is what it means. It means pouring out the love that comes from the very core of God's forgiveness for us in the depth of our soul. And this is why the journey that we're taking, this ascent of faith is so vital for our souls because in the joys and the pain of the journey, God exposes the false idols in our life. He uncovers our attempt to hide our own sin. And we learn, especially in these refining moments, that we owe him far more, far more than 50 pieces of silver or more than 500 pieces of silver, more than we can ever, ever think of repaying. Uh, and it, so it's out of this journey of forgiveness that our love grows, and so does our praise for the Lord. Uh, if you're like me, you probably are thinking to yourself, this is really great. Uh, if you remember back to those early days of salvation when you arrived uh, up the hill, and it was easy to bless the Lord out of the depths of your forgiveness. Uh, but, but the routine, uh, the depth of feeling has come or gone or worn off entirely even maybe, or the day-to-day has become routine or perhaps clouded with the cares of life, and you may even now have doubts about your own adequacy to even come before the Lord in praise. Well, I think verse two of our passage gives us a glimpse in the life of the ministers of the temple. And during these festivals, as Kyle was talking about, these priests would offer praise through song, lifting up hands towards the the temple day and night. And some took the night shift uh, to lead God's people in praise again and again and again. So it's not hard to imagine that many of them grew weary of the task, finding it hard to sustain their work in the late hours to stay up and to bless the Lord with everything they had um, and to lead other people in that that blessing. Um, But these ministers uh, find that the invitation is the same to them as it is to all of the pilgrims that showed up. Uh, That is to all of us to bless the Lord. And Eugene Peterson considers that, uh, that when the command is given to lift your hands, and again, this is what Kyle was talking about this morning, um, uh, it, it suggests that the priests are not only being invited to praise the Lord, but they're being exhorted and encouraged to stay obedient to the very action of praise, whether they felt like it or not. And it's a good principle that our feelings can be great servants, but they're terrible masters. This applies more to our position as those who have already said yes in Christ. And it's the basis for the practice of spiritual disciplines, such as fasting and solitude, to grow in our ability to rest in God, to lift our hands in praise, even when all the circumstances of life and the pressure of the world align to tell us that we shouldn't. Uh, Members of my small group or or my family could share the personal challenges I've had in these areas, especially over the past year or so, and the challenges of life, the things of life, digging away at the soil of your joy, exposing roots of your praise that don't extend nearly as deeply into the love of Christ as you once thought they did. And I want to say in preparing this sermon, I found tremendous encouragement from this passage and from Eugene Peterson's book. Uh, And I wanted to uh, share one of the more encouraging passages passages that I came across. Um, Peterson says, the great promise of being in Jerusalem is that all may join the rich temple worship. 
You are welcome now to do it. Come and join in. Don't be shy. Don't hold back. Did you have a fight with your spouse along the way? That's all right. You're here now. Bless God. Did you quarrel with your neighbor while making the trip? Forget it. You're here now. Bless God. Did you lose touch with your children while coming and you aren't sure where they are now? Put that aside for the moment. They have their own pilgrimage to make. You're here. Bless God. Are you ashamed of the feelings that you had while traveling? The grumbling you indulged in? The resentment you harbored? Well, that wasn't bad enough to keep you from arriving. Are you embarrassed by the number of times you quit and had to have someone pick you up and carry you along? No matter, you're here. Bless God. In a sense, all of us who've made an initial ascent of faith and arrive in Jerusalem have a part to play like these priests do. We bless the Lord daily through our work, through our family, through our lives, and we're sharing what we are all about to those around us and inviting them to start the journey and encouraging those pilgrims with us to come and bless the Lord. And just like the priests, I think we're exhorted to praise the Lord with our lives despite our circumstances. And some of you uh, may have noticed that in my first point of the sermon, I kind of skirted around the actual definition of blessing um, uh, to talk about what it means for us to praise or bless God. But as we come to the end of Psalm 134 in verse 3, you'll notice that we've moved from God being the object of blessing uh, or praise to God as the one who's the subject, the provider of blessing. So listen again. In, in turn, may God of Zion bless you, God who made heaven and earth. It's really, really an astonishing statement that the God who made everything would turn and bless you. One preacher I listened to gave the warning at this point about the dangers of reading this psalm as a mechanism for getting blessing out of God, as if God were a vending machine uh, that we can put a blessing in and he'll turn around and give us his blessing, right? Of course it doesn't work that way. Of course God doesn't work that way. But I can't help but think there's something very intentional in the order of this psalm, that God knows the way our hearts work is such that once, only once we've given praise or blessing can we really begin to receive the fullness of blessing that God has in store for us. But our big picture today is still to answer this question, what happens at the end of faith? Where does this journey lead? Or maybe to put the question in more starkly, uh, will this journey ultimately lead to our blessing or happiness? Tim Keller uh, said once that the height of wisdom found everywhere in the Bible is so obvious that we probably miss it, uh, but it's that almost every place you see the word blessed in scriptures, it's sharing that happiness can never be found directly. It can only be found as a byproduct of seeking something more than happiness. So I'll say that again, that, that happiness can never be found directly. It can only be found as a byproduct of seeking something more than happiness. And I think the reason can be found in the definition of blessing that uh, I'll use what Peterson says in his book, uh, that the fullness of the Hebrew word for blessing in this passage describes what God does to us and among us. 
He enters into covenant with us. He pours out his life for us. He shares the goodness of his spirit, the vitality of his creation, the joys of his redemption. He empties himself among us and we get what he is. The discovery of this is what defines what we know of God as good news. God shares himself with us generously and graciously and he enters into our need. And Peterson says there's no better summarizing and concluding word in all of scripture than blessing. Uh, Friends, this is the fullness of what our hearts long for, I think. To bless someone is to will their good. And, And this is the good news, that the very God of the universe, the one who created everything, is for us, is for you. I think we, uh, C.S. Lewis in a, a book called The Reflections on the Psalm uh, writes this quote that's uh, fairly famous, but he says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise merely expresses, not, not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is, or to come suddenly at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people you're with care no more for it than a tin can in a ditch. The Scotch uh, Catechism says, and this is the Westminster Catechism that we follow as a church, um, says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Another word for blessing, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, but, but, but Lewis says that we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. In other words, the, our praise of God is our greatest blessing when we come to the full realization Uh, of the awesome majesty of who it is that loves us. Um, Earlier, I quoted Peterson saying that all of the quarreling and grumbling and shame and other tensions in our heart weren't bad enough to keep us from arriving in Jerusalem to the place of blessing. But the reality is that we have only arrived in this place of blessing because God has intervened in this destructive, wayward, and sinful nature that we have uh, in Christ. And it must be received for us to begin our journey with him. Uh, who can ascend the hill of the Lord, asked David in Psalm 24. And the answer is, he who has clean hands and a pure heart and who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. In other words, nobody, nobody can make the ascent apart from Jesus Christ. But for those who find themselves in Christ, it's not only the ascent to Jerusalem, but the fullness of his eternal blessing that we find ourselves in. And Revelation 21 says, uh, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, this ascent to the city, and the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, 
or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I think finally, we must not only receive this blessing, uh, but we also must give it away. And uh, Paul in Philippians 2 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement in Christ, being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, in other words, if you have received any blessing from God, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. You see, Jesus is busy fulfilling this promised blessing, promised blessing that was given to Abraham, that God would bless Abraham so that all of the earth would be blessed. And we catch a glimpse of the fullness when we see the people from, in Revelation from every tribe, tongue, and language coming together to bless God. And the marvelous thing is that he accomplished this, this through ordinary people like you and me who've been blessed like Abraham to share their blessing with others. So to close, I, I want to actually have us practice uh, a verbal blessing to one another. And if you came with somebody today, I want you to turn and look at them, or if there's someone nearby, turn and look at them. Look them actually in the eyes, which may be awkward, and, and, and follow after me this, this blessing that God gave to Israel from, from, uh, through Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.